question now. There's, there's eight topics here, and there's only so many hours in a day. Should we just go, go through them all lightly, or should we jump around a little bit? Maybe we just start and see how it goes, huh? So we'll... Okay. Well, let's start with the first one. In the preface to this uh, two volumes of uh, a manual of insight meditation, uh, Mahasi Sayadaw lays out this very short uh, and succinct uh, value of insight. I feel like asking you, though, what do you think? (laughs) What's the value of insight to you? What's the purpose? Maybe more than the value. What is the purpose of mindfulness and the development of insight? You know, there are just so many different ways of uh, talking about it. But let me, let me, let me tell you what Mahasi Sayadaw said. He says, the value or the purpose, in the, the reason that we do insight meditation is first to... Uh, to understand the mind and body correctly. To that's first. That's the second is to understand the what I call the three characteristics of all experience. Second. And the third is to realize the four noble truths. Which is not insignificant either. To under, to realize the four noble truths. So maybe I should speak about each of those three just a little bit. So the first is uh, to to understand the mind and body correctly. This is maybe the most, uh, this is one of, it, it is the, it's not maybe, it's not one of, it is the most important point of the day. Now get this. This mind-body process that is happening in the chair or on the floor or on the cushion where you're sitting is not you. It's not you. And yet, the, 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 the most profound uh, delusion that we live with is This is my body. This is my mind. These are my thoughts. These are my feelings. These are my emotions. And it's all about me. And to practice in such a way as to uproot that wrong understanding is the purpose of the goal of insight meditation. It is to come to know this mind and this body as it truly is. I'll give you just, uh, let me just give you a, a really, well, maybe it'll be a, a simple and clear explanation or, or example of this. Now pay attention. Now pay attention. What happened? I clapped my hands. Okay. What else happened? What, what, did, you, what did you experience happen? I heard, I heard a sound. 
Okay. I heard a sound. You clapped your hands. Uh-huh. What was that? Vibration. Vibration happened. Did you know the vibration? So you knew vibration happening. Okay. What else happened? Yeah. I got You got what? Tense. You got tense. Okay. Whole story about how people get enlightened and then master class. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody happened to get enlightened when, when that happened, please come, come. Take the chair. Let me know. <laughs> what else? What, what else did you experience? I just put my hands together like that. Okay. This is important. Pay attention is important. Pay attention is important. Okay. Now, the real question is, who's right? He said, I clap my hands. He said, you know, this. Uh, and he said, vibration happened. He said, I heard a sound. And is one of those explanations of what happened right? And the other's wrong? Or are they all right, depending on which perspective you're coming from? Now, actually, we all experience the same thing. It's just that. That's all we experience. And yet, each one of us has our own internal mechanism to go to make sense of. And to relate to what happened. You got tense. You heard a vibration. He heard, he saw me do something. You heard a, a sound independent of me doing the clapping of the hands. That, this, is just, this is just a single little event. A clapping of the hands, a making of a sound, being heard. We live in a much more complex relationship with everyone else and everything else than that. And so if we can have such a wide range of understandings or misunderstandings about what that is, just think about the range of understanding or misunderstanding we're going to have when we get into uh, thoughts, feelings, emotions, beliefs with dozens, hundreds, thousands, millions of other human beings. How in the world are we going to make sense of it? Well, we make sense of it by imposing very, uh, well, let's, let's face it, very rigid ways of understanding experience on this experience. And so, generally, we all have a, the same understanding. I clap my hands, you heard the sound. Right. But did you actually do anything intentional to hear that sound? Did you do anything to make that sound happen? Did you, did, you, did you consciously go through any process to determine that that was a, a, a pleasant sound or an unpleasant sound or that you liked it or you didn't like it? Or did you go through any kind of process to, to know that that was the clapping of hands rather than the meowing of a cat? Did you, did you do anything consciously to know that? No. None of us did anything consciously now, with, with kind of intention. We could say it just happened automatically, didn't it? It just happened. The sound was heard automatically. We didn't do anything to hear the sound. It just happened. Well, 
the, 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 the process that the mind went through to, to make sense of that sound that, oh, that was the sound of hands clapping. And, and you could further elaborate on it. The hands that clapped were of the person in the front of the room. The person in the front of the room is the teacher. The teacher is the person, you know, and you could just proliferate all kinds of story about what actually happened. But in the actual hearing of the sound, we didn't, we didn't do anything. It just happened automatically. The, the hearing of the sound, just like the seeing of sights, the smelling of odors, uh, the feeling of sensations, is, well, it's got nothing to do with you. It just happens without you. It just happens due to conditions. You don't make it happen. You can't stop it from happening. But... And here's an important point that is directly to your question. It is experienced. And because it's experienced, sometimes we have a reaction of stress, or we have a reaction of fear, or we have a reaction of anxiety to what just happens. That's where we either suffer or don't suffer. If we can get a handle on our reactivity to the impersonal things that just happen, then we don't suffer. If we're jerked around by what just happens, then we have a lot of fear. We have a lot of anxiety. We have a lot of, what would you say, tenseness, for example, tension. That is where we jump into the picture. I'm afraid. I'm, I'm anxious. I'm tense. And now I've got a problem. Up to that point, it's just things happening. You know, it's just the mind and the body doing their things. They just happen due to conditions which are not personal. They are beyond your control, so to speak. We could say that the functioning of the mind, the functioning of the body, is it's just kind of like on automatic pilot. Nevertheless, if we get identified with what is going on in the body. And if we get identified with what is going on in the mind, then we think, I'm suffering. My body hurts. My mind is tense. My mind is fearful. What we can't see because of our identification, our attachment really, is that this is a very ordinary, normal, natural happening. You hear a sound, like that, and the, the whole system gets startled. If, if you're uncomfortable with this startled feeling, then you'll be tense, or you'll get fearful, or you'll start to explain it in a way that soothes the startledness. But if we started hearing a sound outside that was unfamiliar, and it was loud, and it was, it was rough, and it, it, it got, it, it, you know, we could get very tense and anxious and fearful about what the heck is going on out there because we can't see what's going on. And so the mind would, would just churn out a way of explaining what's going on so that we can either feel soothed or if we can't soothe ourselves, we'll feel anxious, we'll feel fearful, we'll feel tense. But actually, it's all going on due to causes and conditions which are not personal. 
So really, to the extent that we get identified with this body and this mind, we have a wrong understanding of what is going on. Hmm. How are we ever going to learn to observe the experiences of life from this place of it being impersonal? Well, take practice. I can tell you. I can tell you it. You're hearing it now. Here it is. This mind and this body are operating impersonally and they're due to causes and conditions that are beyond your immediate control. Good luck. <laughs> it's like, it's like, ah, you know. And so it's not just learning this knowledge. This is, this is one of those very refined knowledges that I, I want, I want to talk, talk to you about. That this body and this mind are not yours. But you're responsible for it. You have to take care of it. You have to take care of this mind and this body or it'll cause you a tremendous amount of suffering. And even if you do take care of it, it will still cause you a lot of suffering. That's one of the first, no, that's the first noble truth. That's the third, you know, the three, the three things that the Buddha, that, that the Mahasi Sayadaw said, the three values or three goals or the three purposes of practicing insight is to understand the mind and body correctly. To pay such close attention that we can see this is just happening. You know, and sometimes you sometimes you'll get the experience in your practice where you're just sitting and you just you're just sitting and you're not you're not trying to do your practice. You're not, you know, tense, you're not looking for anything in particular. You just relax and you're just noticing what's going on. And you realize. This is. What's this got to do with me? The mind is thinking thoughts and the body is doing its thing. It's getting hungry. It's getting hot. It's getting cold. It's getting tense. It's getting relaxed. The body's just doing its thing. And you're just there watching it and you're thinking. <laughs> What's going on? You know, and, and the body has, you know, I mean, the mind goes through its things. The mind has, you know, you watch. You're here today to listen to and to just to engage in this uh, Dialogue about refined knowledge and subtle wisdom. And this is what you have chosen to do today. This is what you've intended to do. But you watch. Some point during the day, and probably many points during the day, you'll be off in la-la land. You'll be off thinking about what you're going to do tomorrow, what you did yesterday. And even though you intend to be here, your mind has another agenda. It's It's just off doing its own thing. It's got nothing to do with you. But if you don't notice that, it's going to cause you suffering. You're responsible for that. I don't mean you're responsible for making it happen. And I mean, you're responsible for, for dealing with the consequences of your wandering mind. If you think it's your mind, and you're identified with it as your mind, if you think those thoughts that come through your mind are really important to you, that's being identified. If you think that the things that happen in this body somehow are reflecting on you and who you really are, you're really going to suffer. Who is it that... Yeah. You know, we're all getting older. There isn't, any, there isn't a single one of us in this room that's getting younger. You know, we're all getting older, and that has consequences. You know, this body's going to come to its own terminal, its own end. You know, and we're going to have to deal with that. You know, it's going to be a fearful, it could be very fearful, it could be very anxiety-producing, among other things, and it could be very painful. And yet, you know what? It would really be, it would really be... Uh, 
uh, a real skill to be able to understand that this body has its own agenda and it's not you. Because the body is going to go through its thing. If you're identified with it, you will really suffer unnecessarily. But if you see, this is just the nature of the body. This is just the nature of the mind. This is just the nature of emotion. This is just the nature of thought. This is just the nature of sound. This is just the nature of smell. And you understand it. This is the nature of experience. It comes, things happen because of causes and conditions that often have nothing to do with us. That's a, that is the first and major, that, that, that's the first big delusion that we have to get through in practicing insight meditation. Of course, it's, it's, it's something that we work with for years to just slowly thin out our identification, our wrong understanding of this mind and body. But that's what Mahasi said, that's, that's the direction we're going. I understand causes and conditions in the body, but in the mind, it, I have a hard time understanding how thought is not generated by me. How thoughts go through your mind, irrespective of me. <laughs> oh, yeah, good. Oh, well, that, that's, a, that's a good question. I've I, I got to be careful. That's a really good question. We think our thoughts are, are under our control, that we're thinking our thoughts, we're having them. But... I was going to say something political, but not knowing the political climate of the room, I better not. But anyway, go for it. Okay. That's right. This is California. Okay. Go. <laughs> you know, think about the, the political situation of the past six years. How do you feel? Why? Why do you want to feel like that? Who wants to feel like that? It's because of thinking about that, isn't it? If I tell you, if, if I put that thought in your mind, if I say, hey, think about this, and you think about it, and you feel like so resentful and so angry and so frustrated, who's controlling your mind? No, you're not. I am. I'm controlling your mind. Because I'm saying, hey, think about this. Think about that. Think about what this person did. Think about how stupid that is. Think about that. Think about that. And then you feel like angry and resentful and depressed. Yeah. Who's controlling your mind? You're not controlling your mind. You can't help it. You know, you read the headlines and your mind will react in spite of you. You want to have a good day. Everybody wants to have a good day. We all wake up hoping for a good day. And then we turn on the radio. Or we read the headlines. Heading down. Who is, who is controlling? Are those your thoughts? Are those your feelings? No. They are conditioned. It's natural. It's natural. It's not your fault. It's natural. If you expose yourself to unpleasant things, the natural conditioning is to feel bad and to have a, to have a, a negative, if you will, emotional reaction. That's just, it's not your fault. It's the way it is for everybody. 
conditioning the body to breathe more and relax and, and yeah. let, yeah. which is also, a, you know, a, a choice. Yeah. Um, and it brings about a certain type of relief. Um, how is that not some indirect control? Yeah, good point. So the question is, how is practice, for example, not just another layer of conditioning? Isn't that the question? Something like that. How is it that practice isn't just another layer of conditioning? You know what? It can be. We can practice uh, in such a way that we just add another layer of conditioning on top of what's already in there. But that's not what Mahasi Sayadaw said is the purpose or the goal or the direction of insight. He said that it is to understand the mind and body correctly. It is to understand the three characteristics of all experience. And it is to understand by personal experience the Four Noble Truths. It's all about understanding. It's all about understanding. It's not about what you do, how you do it. It's not what technique you use. It's not whether you focus your, uh, on your breath at the belly or you focus on your breath at the nostrils or whether you recite a mantra. It isn't anything to do with the technique or the format of the practice you use or whether you walk or whether you sit or whether you sit for an hour or a half hour or whether you sit cross-legged in a chair or stand on your head. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. What matters is how do you understand it? Because in the understanding, there's either bondage or liberation. If you're not free, like Pat was just saying, you know, if I can jerk her emotions around by, by just throwing out little topics, just throwing out, just throwing out a single sentence, you know, like, hey, did you read the headlines today about what Bush did last night? No, what? <laughs> Already, who's, you know, you can jerk people around, and if you're not aware that you're being a jerk around like that, you're conditioned. Deeply conditioned. If you're still getting reactive to Bush, what have you been doing for six years in your practice? <laughs> Hello? Didn't you know as soon as he got elected, your practice for the next four years, the first time, well, he didn't get elected, but... <laughs> sorry, I hope... <laughs> you know, whoever gets elected next time, we're going to be saying the same thing about it. But if you didn't take on resentment as your practice for, for four years, what have you been doing? You haven't been paying attention to your mind. Okay. So, let's hope that we're not still being reactive to that. But that's how hard... I mean, we are. Of course we are. We're still totally reactive. Why? Because our minds are so conditioned and it is very, very difficult to, to decondition the mind. Not recondition the mind, but decondition the mind. And the only way you can decondition the mind is to understand what's going on in your mind. To understand... Oh, this thought, this feeling, this image, this emotion, this person, my difficult person, they provoke X in, in me. They condition this, this kind of response in me. If that causes you suffering, that's where you need to look. Right there. Because it's that conditioning that we want to understand. Because when you understand it, then you can let go of it. And it's not let go because, oh, I don't like that, I'm going to let go. Because... Let's face it, if we could let go of the suffering and the causes of suffering in our life, we would have done it a long time ago. But you know what? You can't. You can't let go of your suffering just because you want to let go of it. It's, suffering is not intentional. Suffering is the first noble truth. This is the way things are. 
and this is, you know, remember the Mahasi said, to realize the Four Noble Truths. The first is the truth of Dukkha. The first is the truth of Dukkha. You've got to realize that. It's not personal. Your suffering is not personal. This is the way it is. I could go into a whole rap about Dukkha, but some of you have heard it. It's funny. But you had a question? Oh, where's that, where's that, where's that little microphone? Somebody wants, the people that listen to this online are going to want to know what she said. This is great because most of the time when uh, I hear this, that your thoughts are not you, um, it's always like one one way stream. Somebody is giving a talk and then there's too many people to talk, ask questions. So this is great. So up to a point, I understand. I really appreciate the example you gave her about, you know, you controlling her thought. But I think what maybe what she said or what I thought she said was, well, I'm going to sit down to do my meditation, and I do my meditation, I tell my body to relax, I tend my mind to relax, and it slowly relaxes. And then some thoughts come that just bubble up, and yeah. some thoughts come that are sort of conscious, I can consciously follow, and some are just coming subconsciously, like bubbles coming and going. So sure, the subconscious bubbles I can understand are, I don't have any control over except to say whether I'm going to pay attention to them or not pay attention and catch on to them or not. But there are conscious thoughts, and sometimes it's just so interesting a theme that I'm going to think, and I do, and I shouldn't, in my meditation. And that I feel as if I have some control over. So I have a hard time believing that all my thoughts are not, are just causes and conditions I have no control over. And maybe this is that area that I just haven't gotten deep enough to really see, as my teachers have always said, it's too early to see. And maybe all you can do here is make a statement and say, you all guys have to go home, practice for years, and you will see for yourself. No. I appreciate that comment, but it's how you understand. How you understand things is, is where it's all at. You may understand things totally wrongly, but that's how you understand them. And that's what you have to work with. You can't work with, you know, I can tell you it's this way or that way, or Mahasi Sayadaw can tell you it's this way or that way, or the Buddha can tell you it's this way or that way. But if you don't understand it that way, you've got to work with the way you understand it. And, yeah, you hear the teachings and you say, well, God, doesn't sound, it's not my, that's counterintuitive, isn't it? Hmm. But still, you've got to work with the way you understand things and keep, keep, keep practicing. And in time, you know, you may see things differently. Now, Let's take, for example, um, many of us have, have been involved in the Dharma for a long time, and we know that cultivating wholesome qualities of mind, like generosity, loving kindness, patience, uh, non-reactivity, we know these are, these are good qualities of mind to, to, to generate in, in life. Because we get, we, let's face it, we get faced with situations that really provoke us. And if we don't have a kind of a, a quick and ready uh, default setting of patience, you know, we're going to get entangled. So we can intentionally think thoughts of loving kindness, non-reactivity, patience, generosity, etc., etc., etc. And so we do intend to have those thoughts. Because we, we have the aspiration to be more loving, more generous, more patient, more kind, more whatever. And so we can, as you say, intentionally create this thought, create this field of generosity or loving kindness in our, in our mind, in our heart. 
We can. Right? Isn't that right? right? Why'd you do that? Why'd you do that? We do it because we have an understanding that this is useful, this is beneficial, this is a skillful thing to do. It's the understanding that conditioned the thought, that conditioned the intention, and the intention conditioned the thought. Okay? The thought didn't just pop up into your mind, just like, pop, like a mushroom with, with apparently no causes. There are causes and conditions giving rise to even intentional thoughts. Because you already have the predisposition, you have trained yourself to value patience or loving kindness or whatever. You've trained yourself to value that. You've seen the benefit of it. You've already shifted your perceptions in the mind. All those are the conditions, the pool of conditions out of which the intention to be patient arises. And it's that intention which gives rise to the thought of be patient, which gives rise to the action of let go of your whatever, whatever it is. And these, this is just a sequence of causes giving rise to effects the effects giving rise, becoming a cause and giving rise to another effect. That effect being a cause, giving rise to another effect. And it's just cause and effect being passed on moment to moment to moment to moment to moment. Some of which are, some of those causes are intentions. Which, if we're identified with them as my intention, we think, hey, I'm controlling this thought. We have all kinds of intentions that arise in the mind that we don't, even notice, but that we act on, right? Some of you just shifted your posture. You look this way, you scratch your arm, you do this, you reach down for something. Did you know that you did that? Did you have the intention to do that? Most of us did not notice the intention to blink our eyes, to shake our head, to nod our head, to shift our posture. We didn't notice the intention to do that. Most of us did not. But how did it happen? How did that movement of the body happen? It didn't happen automatically. It happened because there was an intention to move the body. Where did that intention come from? You think that you control your body. But your body moves without you even knowing it. Who's, con- who's in control here? Well, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm being a little provocative. Just kind of like, hmm. I don't mean to take so much time, no. and I'll stop. No. But, um, Beginners always ask the best questions. <laughs> they, don't, they don't edit. They don't censor anything. They just say, hey, that's good. So understanding a tool that is the function of our body or mind yes. is the tool we use to understand. Yes. Okay. So, do you, I mean, does that make sense? Our mind is what understands. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And we, 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 on, we can only understand... You know, what we experience. We're experiencing this body. We're experiencing the mind. We're paying attention to the body. We're paying attention to the mind. We're trying to understand, how's this all happening? Because sometimes it ends up in suffering. Sometimes it ends up in happiness. Sometimes we're patient. Sometimes we're impatient. Sometimes, you know, how does it happen? How is it that we get entangled in, you know, a real snit? You know, we get really just in a froth someday. How'd that happen? We don't want to be there, but we're there. So if we understand how we got caught, how we got entangled in something, 
that causes us to get into this mood or get into this froth or get into this emotional drama, then we can, that understanding allows us to, to kind of start picking apart all this impersonal conditioning that we're identified with. So we're, yeah. given, we're given the tool yes. to let go of the tool. Let go of the tool? Well, we're given no. the tool to understand the tool. Pay attention. Pay attention to it. Yeah, there's this body, there's this mind. Pay attention. You know, it is the understanding that comes through uh, paying attention and understand, really paying attention, being insightful into, well, how's this happening? That's where we, we start to free ourselves. The body is going to do its thing. The mind is going to do its thing. But you can pay attention to it. There can, you can still pay attention to it. And it's the paying attention that will, will bring or enhance, enrich the understanding. Uh, somebody had a question there. Would you like to come into the room and, and feel a little more? Yeah. So it sounds like there's a good news, bad news uh, with the, the tools that we have. One is you can use the tools in which to become aware, but we're stuck with the tools we have to become aware. So depending on one's ability to, you know, some tools are more flexible, strong, bigger, I don't know, effective. I don't know what the right word is. And um, other tools are, one's tools may be great, one's tools may not be so great. So that's sort of a good news, bad news. We're sort of stuck <laughs> in a good way or maybe in a bad way. I don't know. Does that make sense? Um, if you have, if the... Uh, let's not take the image or metaphor or whatever too, it's called too, of tool too, yeah, too well, far. I'm just saying. Let's uh, talk about the mind. Okay, well... Um, you got the mind. Right. There it is. So the there's mind, your tool and there's the problem. So the good news is that you can use the mind, but the bad news is that the mind created the issues at hand. And um, how it's a closed-loop system. It's what? A cl- somewhat of a closed-loop system where you the, the problems that you've experienced have been generated by your mind, okay? Or the, the happiness that you've experienced, yes. or whatever, your yeah. reality. Ah, got it. Okay. Okay. How, <laughs> something just Sorry. came to me. Uh, yes, we have this mind, and we could say, oh, the mind is conditioned, and so how are we going to get out of the conditioning? You know, the, the, what you asked before, how are you going to get out of the conditioning? You listen, you, 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 you read the Mahasi journal, Manual of Insight Meditation. Yeah? <laughs> Among other things, it's just like you read the newspaper. You read the newspaper, you read other Dharma books, you read other junk, you read other you know, trash novels, you go to the movie, whatever. You're putting stuff in your mind. Some of what goes in the mind will help you to understand things correctly. But you won't know what of all you've read, of all you've taken in. You, don't you won't know what is going to help you understand correctly until you practice. You could be taking in all kinds of stuff. Makes sense. Yeah, that looks good. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it only makes you understand wrongly. How are you going to know? You only know by paying attention. Again, it's still a closed loop. I mean, you're... No, it's the paying attention. You're paying attention to... Maybe you're paying attention to delusion and you're just continue, continue to be delusional. Nah. Oh, <laughs> no. That's, a, that's wrong. Because if you are paying attention to... If, no. If you are paying attention... To delusion, you understand delusion correctly. This is, this is the tool. This, the tool is mindfulness. 
The tool is awareness. The tool is mindfulness. Yeah, while it is part of the mind, it's a capacity of the mind, it is the capacity that sees clearly. That's what delusion, you know, if, if seeing clearly is happening, delusion is not present. They're mutually exclusive. Okay, hand the microphone. Is, um, you're talking about awareness as opposed to thoughts and thinking. Yes. And so um, you are aware of the thoughts so that it's not closed. You, you're, stepping back, you're, That's right. you're stepping back from the thinking process and yes. observing or being aware of what's happening as That's opposed right. to being so close to it you don't see what's it's just happening. So it's, it's talking about the tool or the mind. The mind is bigger than the thoughts. Mind, mind is, is bigger more. than the thoughts? The mind is more awareness. Mind is mind does not equate, equate with thoughts. No, no. Yeah. The so it's thinking the, is just a capacity thinking, of thinking the mind. Thinking is a thing. It's just something happening. Yeah. Thinking and thoughts are just coming and going. Yes. Yeah. The point about awareness. Stepping back from experience is key to it all. When you can, when there is this capacity to uh, be aware of what's happening rather than be in what's happening or rather than be what's happening, but there can be an awareness of what's happening of the body, within the body, within the mind, then that's, that is the, that's, that's the key for developing understanding. When you're enmeshed in or when you're identified with what's happening, you have an understanding, but it's very personal. It's all about me. It's my mind, my body, my feelings, my emotions, my thoughts, my, my, my. But when there's this stepping back, which is what awareness does, awareness steps back and there's an awareness of that's what's happening. That is the direction of uh, refining uh, your understanding. Finding understanding. Yes. When I say stepping back. When you say when you say stepping back, what I understood before is that awareness is experiencing it. Say you have you have those thoughts, you have a feeling, you have sensation, emotions. It's to be in it, experience it, then then you're aware. That's what it is. It's not just stepping back. I mean, I understand what you say on stepping back, yep. not to be entangled. And yet, because I, 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 I used to do that. I just observe all the time uh-huh. what's happening. Okay, it's happening. All right, uh-huh. it's happening. Uh-huh. And yet, when in my body I got into that stuff that's holding there, yes. then I was aware. Yes. Yeah. Am I clear? Yeah. The, 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 I want to draw something out of what you said. And that is language. We're using language as if we know what each other's talking about. You know, we could talk about awareness, we can talk about knowing, we can talk about consciousness, we can talk about the mind, we can talk about the body, we can talk about stepping back, we can talk about going in, we can talk about concentration. 
These are words which we each have a sense of understanding what it means, but we don't really know if we understand it the same way anybody else does. So what I have discovered in the course of my experiments in awareness is that you can't rely on words. I mean, we do have to rely on words, but more than the word is the experience behind the word. You know, words have meanings, but even the meanings are pretty amorphous. But behind those or underneath or prior to those meanings are experience. So what we're really talking about is experience. But we have to use words to talk about it. Just to give you an example, in some of the different traditions that you mentioned that there's a whole mishmash in uh, spiritual traditions in the West today. Uh, and some of, the, some of the flag words, code words are consciousness, uh, the conditioned, the unconditioned, uh, enlightenment, awareness, uh, the ground of being. There, there's, 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 there's words like that that there's no agreement about what these mean. Within a, within a very limited tradition or, or a group of people, there can be an understanding and a kind of a common experience that we're referring to. But if I throw out the word consciousness and say, you know, it's all about consciousness this and consciousness that, or awareness this, awareness that, you know, the chances are good you're not going to be talking, you're not going to be receiving the message that I'm sending out. And so, we have to try to talk about very kind of practical, uh, very immediate experiences and not use too much code language. Huh? So, what does it mean, you know, to say, step back? You know, you were saying that you, for, for many years, would go into experience. I would stay out. Huh? I would stay out. Oh, you'd stay out of experience? Yeah. Oh, oh, I see. So... You would say, oh, oh, you know, this is, this is a beautiful entree into the, the first segue, entree. Anyway, here it comes. Okay. So what is happening in each moment? And this is the first thing that Mahasi Sayada said. The first goal or the purpose of practicing insight meditation is to realize the nature of mind and body correctly. So now, in each moment, what is happening? Well, the Buddha would say, and Mahasi Sayadaw would repeat, that in each moment there is an object being known. Another way of saying that is that a sense object, a sight, a sound, a smell, a taste, a tactile sensation, or a concept, thought, is being is contacting the mind. So we have an object coming in through a sense door, giving rise to a sense consciousness. If I had three hands, I'd show you. Sense object, contacting sense door, giving rise to sense consciousness. Right? The voice, the sound of my voice is a sound that's, that's being contacting your, the hearing sensitivity of your ear, giving rise to hearing consciousness. Awareness of hearing. Right? Isn't it? Or m maybe not awareness of hearing, but 
uh, awareness of the concept of what was said. Okay, so in any, in any, there's there's three things happening. Now, different traditions of spiritual practice will 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 point you towards paying attention to different of those experiences, different of those different of those elements. Some will 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 point you towards uh, being aware of the object, the sound, the sight, the thought, the sensation. And, you, and you, you'll, you'll, you'll get focused on that, so to speak. Well, there's other spiritual traditions that say, no, don't focus on the object. Pay attention to the awareness, the consciousness of the object. So it doesn't matter what the object is. It's more important to kind of be aware of the awareness of it, the, the consciousness of that object. Right? That's what you said. You stayed with no knowing. You stayed with the knowing, Right? And things were going on, but you just stayed with the knowing. And then you said it wasn't until you really got into the object that something else happened. Right? Yeah. Into the object. Yeah. Well, both of those are just techniques. There's the technique of going into the object. There's a technique of... of, of of staying with the awareness of the object or the consciousness of the object. They're both just techniques. Behind both those techniques is the understanding that in every moment there is an object being known. That's the understanding you want to get to. Whether you go into the object or you you hang back in the knowing, the understanding is there's an object being known in every moment. That is understanding nama rupa or mind and body Accurately, it just and it's constantly arising. This constant stimulation of one of one sense door or the other arising, being known all the time. Now, here's an important little piece. Just because an object's being known doesn't mean that there's an awareness of it. Just because objects are being known doesn't mean there's awareness of it. Okay, now here's, 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 you know, some of you, not, again, nodding your head, shifting your posture, doing this, that, that. That object, the object of discomfort in the body was being known by the mind, you know. And when it, the body got uncomfortable enough, it conditioned the intention to move and the movement happened without there being any awareness of it. Right? Do you see that? The body moves all the time because we're not aware of the discomfort in the body. We're not aware of the intention. We're not aware of the movement. And yet the body moves. But we can't really say that the discomfort in the body was not known by the mind. The the discomfort of the body was known by the mind, wasn't it? Because if there was no discomfort known, the body would never move or the intention to move to get the relief would never have arisen. So, the goal of practice is to become aware of this mind-body communication that's going on all the time. Is to really fill out your knowledge of what's going on in the mind, what's going on in the body. In every moment, there's an object being known, an object being known, an object being known, object being known, object being known. The objects arise independent of your wish. 
None of us would ever wish for pain in the body, would we? No, we're not masochists. We don't, we don't wish for pain in the body. We don't wish for unpleasant emotions in the mind. We don't wish for unpleasant thoughts in the mind. And yet they come. They come independent of our intention. But they're still known. The trick is, if we can become aware, if, if awareness can recognize this sensation, this thought, this emotion, this mood, this feeling, then we have stepped back. We're not entangled in it. That is the very stepping back because it's recognition of this object. If there's no recognition of the object, there's a merging of sense of self with the object. My body, my pain, my mood, my thought, my feeling, my... There's an identification with it. But as soon as there is the recognition of that's what's going on, there's an understanding. Oh, this is just the nature of the mind. This is just the nature of the body being known. Being known. Well, that's, this is all in the preface. <laughs> this is just the first of the three in the preface. Hello, we've got 800 pages to go. Okay. It's a, rich, it's a rich text, believe me. It's a rich text. There's a lot in there. But let me just, um, let me just check in with you. Are you getting it? Huh? Not, no? Okay. Yes. Yes. Some? Maybe yeah. it's uh, the first time you hear this stuff. It's like what in the what in the world is what are they talking about? It's like, but it takes hearing it a few times and uh, kind of looking and kind of covering it. We're gonna I'm gonna be mentioning the same thing over and over again, probably many many different ways today, and uh, some of it'll stick, some of it won't. It's not. Let me put it this way. It's not really important that you understand what's being said. It's not important. But it is important that you hear it. Think about that. It's important that you hear the teachings of the Buddha. That this is the way it is. Not so much as, do I believe it or not? God, I hope you aren't stuck there. What do I believe or not? Yeah, how do we understand things? But... Because even our beliefs are pretty fickle. I'm not sure we want to rely on beliefs for our spiritual practice. Okay, that's uh, we'll be getting to that one in. Uh, what am I to believe? Chapter three. We'll get there. <laughs> but it's important for you to hear the Buddha's teachings that point to the way things are, so that as you practice. Meaning, as you pay attention to experience, just how you experience life, your mind, your body, your relationships, your, the environment, how you experience it, you'll begin to not overlay the Buddha's understanding on top of your experience, but you'll start to see the understanding within the experience. Okay? If you don't hear it, you won't ever see it. If the Buddha didn't, if the Buddha didn't come into the world to teach, yeah, we'd see we'd see the world the way we see it, but we wouldn't see it the way he saw it. We have to hear the teachings, and it's important that we hear it, that we take it in, and it, it'll kind of work in the background. It kind of, you know, the mind kind of cogitates on it a little bit, and kind of, you know, as you experience something, you might get a glimpse of like, oh, that's how I could understand this 
Because, you know, you can understand any experience can be understood in many different ways. But the Buddha was only concerned about, and here we are at the Four Noble Truths. Okay? I haven't even talked about the second purpose and goal and value of insight practice, which is the three characteristics. We'll go on to the third one, which is the Four Noble Truths. The Buddha was concerned about suffering. You know, many spiritual traditions, they talk about bliss and heaven and union with God. And they talk about peace and enlightenment and joy and all those good things that come from spiritual practice. And they do. And then you have the Buddha talking about suffering. You know, like what's he got against the world? But it's not only suffering, it's suffering in the end of suffering. Because in the Four Noble Truths, there's the truth of dukkha, which doesn't mean suffering exactly. It means unsatisfactoriness, pain, unsatisfactoriness, vulnerability, insecurity, those things. That, that's the way it is. It's not, it's not your fault that you feel anxious and fearful. That's just the way it is. That's the nature of uh, human existence. That's the nature of the body. That's the nature of the mind. That's the nature of all experience, dukkha. But the third Noble Truth is that the end of dukkha is possible. So when you practice insight, you practice mindfulness to develop insight, to realize the third noble truth. That's one of the things, one of the purposes. To realize the third noble truth, which is the end of suffering. Think about that. Whatever has ever caused you any suffering in your life, not just physical suffering, mental suffering, emotional suffering, being a, feeling the, the, the fear, the anxiety, the tension, the aloneness, the feeling discriminated against, feeling upset, resentful, feeling frustrated, depressed, you know, feeling you know, neglected, deprived. It, it, all these are forms of suffering. We practice insight to bring the end to all of that. That's why we practice. And that is what the practice of insight can do. It can free the mind from suffering and the causes of suffering because of understanding things correctly. So this is no, this is no weekend endeavor. This is, this is the long haul. This is the long path. You know, as, as our, some of our, uh, our teacher, Saito Tejaniya says, you know, it is better to think of uh, meditation practice as a marathon rather than a sprint. <laughs>